So here we are at another Taught Talk, where we take teaching theory and turn it into teaching practice. We've been talking about uh, executive functioning skills. Executive functioning skills are the skills and building blocks that we need in order to be successful, not just in school, but in life. Some of these are perseverance, your working memory, your, your ability to plan, organize, have good time management. But here's the thing. All the planning, all the organization, and all the time management doesn't really matter unless you're willing to be flexible. I'm going to share with you three quotes, three of my favorite quotes when it comes to this idea of flexibility and adaptability. So the first one is by Mike Tyson, the heavyweight boxer. And he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And so this is the case. When anyone goes out for sports, they have a plan of what they're going to do. If you're playing chess, you have a plan of what you, you want to do. But your opponent has a funny way of like maybe messing up that plan or making differences. So it's all about adjustments. It's all about making sure that you are able to adapt to what is in front of you. The second quote is a quote by Einstein, which most quotes are attributed to. And it's about, it's the definition of insanity. He says insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. What happens a lot of times is people who aren't flexible just keep doing the same thing. And then they expect something different to happen as a result of this. And of course, that's not going to be the case. If you don't make changes, if you don't adjust, if you aren't flexible, if you aren't adaptable, then the same thing is going to keep happening. If you want change, if you want difference, you have to change. You have to do something different. And so this is why flexibility is such an important skill. The third one is by the esteemed John Lennon. And John Lennon said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And this couldn't be more true. So think about your own life. How much flexibility do you need when it comes to your family and your kids' schedules or your husband's schedules or wife's schedule um, or, or just being uh, doing things around the house or things going wrong like the, the water heater breaking or something happening, you know, the dog using the restroom on the, the floor. So we have to con consistently adapt and be flexible. Uh, also with our work. In work, we are uh, as teachers, you have the ultimate challenge of being flexible because it's teaching is all about flexibility. You have a lesson plan, but you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know how your students are going to react. You don't know where you need to differentiate. Of course, then of course there is like announcements, there's fire drills, <coughs> there's assemblies, there's all sorts of things. So you have to be flexible when it comes to being a teacher. And so if you're an inf I always tell first year teachers, the number one thing is flexibility. You have to be flexible. If we, we, if we weren't flexible, we wouldn't be teachers. Also, when you're looking at, you know, uh, taking a vacation, flights are going to be delayed. Things aren't going to work out the way they're supposed to. Something might not be open that was supposed to be open before. We have to be flexible in life. And that's kind of what John Lennon's getting at here is like, we make all these plans, but then life happens. And then we have to react to this. And so for today's talk talk, we're going to be talking about flexibility. And part of this idea of flexibility is this. When I do a talk talk, I plan them out. I go through several takes. By the time you're seeing it, believe it or not, 
you're looking at the fifth, sixth, maybe 10th take. I edit things out. I make sure that I, if I, something goes wrong, I stop it and do it that way. And so I don't think I'm recording. Oh, see, <laughs> perfect example. I didn't think I was recording for a second. So I'm going to leave everything in warts and all to show you how I can be flexible and how I have to adapt to the situation that I'm in. So the reason why flexibility is so important, in addition to just being a good skill in life and in the classroom, is for students, is in order to adjust to new situations. So when you go from one class to another class, or one grade to another grade, or something doesn't go according to the regular schedule. Um, maybe fish sticks were supposed to be on the menu and they ran out of fish sticks and so they're gonna have chicken strips. You know, people have to adjust to new situations all the time. And the question is, how flexible are they gonna be when they're doing that? Secondly, we need to learn from our mistakes. This is so important to be able to learn from our mistakes and to adjust. So baseball is one of my favorite sports and the reason being is it is a constant game of adjustment. So you think you have a pitcher figured out and then they, they adjust. And so you have to adjust to be able to be hit, hit the ball or whatever. And so if people just do the same predictable thing over and over, then it's, they're going to be easy to beat. But if you want to stay the best of the best, you have to be adaptable. You have to make changes. You have to adjust. You have to be able to deal with changes. And so dealing with changes, life changes happen. I mean, changes and inevitability. See, I would edit that out normally, but I'm going to keep it in. So it's an inevitable thing that happens in life. And so we have to be, we're not always ready for change. So you may get, you know, you may get, uh, your job may take you to another city or something might happen with the health of one of your, your, your friends or family. And so we have to be able to deal with change and cope with it. And so this is why we develop coping mechanisms in order, and what, and the best one is flexibility. We also want people to be open to trying new things. So when we, we looked at, and you can tell I'm already using the word so a lot, I usually cut these out, but I mean, but going to keep it in. And so you have to be open to trying new things uh, because if you don't, if you're not open to trying new things, you don't learn anything because you're just doing it. It's that Einstein definition of doing the same thing over and over. You have to, ad to adapt to new things and to see what's going on. So part of this, when you're teaching adaptability, flexibility, is not only the, the way that they react, but also the way that they think. This is called flexible thinking. And so flexible thinking is the idea that uh, there's two different types of ways to think about things. There's convergent and there's divergent. So convergent, convergent means that there's one answer. So if someone asks you, what is the capital of California? Well, the answer is Sacramento. That hasn't changed. We can't adapt to that. That's not going to change. It's a fixed fact unless, of course, they move the capital, which is probably not going to happen anytime soon. So convergent type questions or thinking is just coming up with a single answer and one correct answer. Again, we know how life works. In life, there are often multiple answers. And none of them are necessarily bad and none of them are necessarily good. They just are what they are. And you can make all the right decisions. You can do all the planning in the world and things still don't go the way that you want them to. Or 
Sometimes what happens to some people is they don't do any planning and things just work out for them. So there's no guarantees in life. As a result, we have to be able to be flexible with our thinking. So the type of thinking that we want our students to do is more divergent thinking. Divergent thinking is multiple possibilities. It's also creative thinking. And so divergent thinking is there's more than one way to do something. There's more than one way to answer that. There's more than, there are multiple ways, depending upon, if you have 30 students in the class, you may get 30 different responses and they all make sense and they all are accurate. But this is, this is divergent thinking. And so we want to get kids in the habit of doing more divergent thinking if we're going to ask them to be flexible. Because what happens is if we have too much um, convergent thinking, then what happens is when they can't find the right answer, they get frustrated. Or if it's not, not what they thought it was going to be, it's not the answer that they thought it was going to be, then they're going to get frustrated as well. So in order to teach that flexibility, we have to be asking and doing activities and, and making a culture where there's divergent thinking is going on because this divergent thinking is going to give them possibilities and choices, which is what flexible thinking is all about. It's like, okay, here are these, oh, here's the situation. What are my choices? What am I going to do? This is why I love to teach chess to young students because chess is all about making, there's no one way to play chess. There's billions of ways to play chess. And even when you play chess a certain way, your opponent may play a different way. And so you have to be adapting and being flexible all the time. So I use chess to teach flexible thinking to my younger students. Some signs, and you notice I'm looking down a lot, which I also would not do because I do all my planning of my PD and my PD notebook. And so everything is in here. So I'm kind of glancing at that. So that's this is part of the the uh, the flexibility that I have to use for this particular uh, top talk. So when we're looking at signs of flexi of inflexibility, where students may need one of these would be they don't tolerate change. So if there's a change to the routine, normally you change for math class at this time, but you change to this time because it's a two hour delay or whatever. This this particular student doesn't deal well when routine is messed up. Uh, and so this is the type of student that we need to try to get more flexible thinking. We need to help them to be adaptable so that when things have to change, they can roll with that. Most kids in general are very flexible. They're very resilient. They roll because they spend their whole childhood being told what to do or where to go or whatever. And so they don't have a lot of choice. And so they have to go where, they, where they're, they're told to go. And so they have to adapt to that all the time. And so... However, there are students that are maybe a little more rigid in their thinking. Are they like the kids who are autistic tend to really like routine? And if you I had, I had a student who was oppositional defiant. And when we switched specials, we went from music to art. We didn't tell her ahead of time. And she freaked out because she wasn't aware of that. And it really threw off her routine. And she did not have flexible. She has very inflexible thinking, uh, which comes with the oppositional defiance. We also want to make sure that we, uh, when we, we look for students to get frustrated when something doesn't go their way or the way that they planned. Uh, this again is, is a student that maybe is displaying inflexibility. So if they're working in a group, the group doesn't do what they, what, what they suggested and then they just shut down and won't work with the group. So this is an, or, you know, something where they're trying something and it goes wrong and they just stop. And so we're going to talk about in a, another uh, talk on the idea of perseverance and grit. Uh, but, but this is what that student kind of lacks. You have to have flexibility 
um, and adaptability if you're going to have grit, if you're going to have uh, perseverance. So we'll talk about another one. Um, they won't change their habits. So they have a habit and they stick with that habit and they won't do anything else. They don't try anything new. So as a result, they're not learning new. They're not being, they're not changing. They're not growing. Uh, this is how we grow is through change. Uh, we have to be able to, if we, if we spend our entire lives never growing or changing, we would still be on the ground, unable to walk, using the restroom uh, and our, and our diaper or whatever. As you know, as we progress through uh, childhood and adulthood and all that, we have to adapt and change all the time because we're learning new things. We're willing to learn new things. We're willing to try new things. But again, this is something it should come pretty natural to people. But some people get a little inflexible with that. The last sign is perfectionism. So perfectionism, which you will see, especially among some gifted students, but other students as well, is that they, they don't want to mess up. There has to be just right to the point where if something is, they'll get something done, but if it's not to their liking, they won't turn it in or they'll throw it away or they'll get rid of it. And so again, we have to, we have to understand, we always tell students to do their best or boy, that's perfect. We need to get rid of that vocabulary and that, and that types of speaking, because there's no such thing as your best. There's no such thing as perfect. And so we, we turn in the, what we can, we, we, we work hard on what we do. And then we try to get that in. And we try to do, you know, you know, not the best that we can necessarily, but we try to do the, be the best that we can do at that time. And so, and so we have to look at things. So when you look at things like revisions of papers, we don't turn in our first draft. We adapt to that. We make changes. We, we, you know, are flexible with that. When you're working on, you know, a project, things are not going to go the way that you plan them to. And so we have to be, be adaptable to that. So now I'm going to talk about the idea of different strategies. So I'm going to give you 10 strategies that you might want to consider using in your class to help foster flexibility with your students. So number one is allowing them to problem solve. Problem solving, keep in mind, there's a big difference between solving problems and problem solving. Problem solving usually is that there is a very difficult question, what I call a big, hairy question, and students have to come up with possible answers. But there's, again, no one definitive answer. Uh, solving a problem is, hey, I, the, the door is locked. And you're like, okay, I'm going to get the key and unlock it. Okay, that's a, it's a problem it's, and, and it's a solution. But it's not problem solving. Problem solving was, it would be, the door is locked. We don't have a key. What are we going to do? And then there's all sorts of possibilities that you could think about doing. Some legal, some illegal. So we want to make sure that we, we consider all of these. Or, you know, who does have a cure? What are we have to we have to adapt to that because we don't always have the simplest solution is not always the one that we're going to be able to use. So we have to be able to think of multiple possibilities. And so what we want to do, we want to use the engineering design process, which I love to use because it asks people it asks people to ask questions, to imagine possibilities, to plan all these things and then to create. And then this is the important step. In the engineering design process to improve how do we make changes how do we make it better so think about any piece of technology or invention and how many changes it's been through the telephone has been through so many changes since its iteration we, we okay so because technology we, we people keep striving to make it better and as a result it, it's gotten better so this this phone 
has the computing power that all of NASA's computers when they launched the um, you know, Apollo uh, mission to, to the moon. And so, but the reason why we're able to do this is because we adapt. And here's the, here's another, when it comes to, to natural tendency to do flexible is like technology is, is accelerating at a breakneck pace. And so we have to be really flexible and adaptable to this. So you would think younger generations wouldn't have a problem with this because they do adapt to technology really well. And there are some things that they certainly adapt to, but sometimes there's issues with, with flexibility. So we want to make sure we're teaching these in the class. So doing STEM challenges, uh, such as you see here. So in this STEM challenge, I love to do this one. It is a, uh, you're building a tower with paper. And the reason why I love to do it is because something almost always goes wrong. Uh, either the group isn't working together well, or that, you know, the, the paper, the things fall or you run out of time, whatever. There's so much unpredictability with what might happen that they have to make adjustments and be flexible. And so I love to teach STEM challenges, such as you see here, in order for them to be able to, to learn how to be flexible. A second thing, and this is a big one, and this is a really good one uh, to get them to be flexible is, is make sure that students are collaborating with each other, but not just group work, collaborating. So, and, and we'll have a series of, of video talk, talks on what good collaboration looks like, what successful collaboration looks like. I can tell you what it doesn't look like. What it doesn't look like is that people come in and they do their own thing and everyone does their thing. And the collaboration is about working together. It's about making sure that the, the group is making decisions. The group is making all these considerations. The group are doing action and people are adding their ideas and making things better as a result of this shared idea. And so when you put kids with in, in groups, there's a lot of flexibility that has to come into play because you're not always going to, because there are five, three or four or five voices in the group, you're not necessarily going to get your way. You can't just make decisions and then that's what happens. The group makes a decision and you have to adapt to that and you have to be willing to move forward from that. So having students work and collaborate together is a really good way to teach flexibility, but you do have to give them the you know, the, uh, the coping mechanisms to make these adjustments when they're in groups. So when things don't go what, the way that they thought they were, what are ways they can regulate themselves? What are ways that they can learn to move on to the next thing? So we have to be good about teaching students how to collaborate successfully. The third thing. So we need to create, I know I've said that we, that routines are good, but they can also be dangerous. We need culture, not routines in the classroom. So routines are whenever something happens, this is the way you do it every time. Culture is, this is the way that we normally do things, but if things don't go according to plan, we'll do this instead, or we'll adjust to this. And so we, we need to create a culture in our classrooms where kids can break out of the routine at times and it's perfectly okay. And so we want to make sure that they are able to think about these, these, uh, these routines in ways that they may have to. So I'll give you an example. So we have rules in our school for certain things. Like one rule is not to talk, not to yell. But if someone gets injured on a playground, you want to yell so that someone comes over quickly to help. So we break those rules. We have to be adaptable. If we're following the rules all the time, then it's not going to, you know, we're not, you know, it could be, you know, a dangerous situation. The fourth thing, teach kids to be self-advocates. So if they want to try something different or they want to be, they should be able to come to you and, and express that. If they're, if they're in their groups and they want to, hey, can we try this? 
we can try this. Maybe it won't work, whatever, but we'll give it a try. They need to be able to self-advocate for themselves. The student that sits back and lets the group make decisions for them or the teacher makes decisions for them or whoever to make decisions for them is someone who's not really learning flexibility. They're, it seems like they're being really flexible because they're going along with whatever the group says, but what they're being is compliant. So we want flexibility where they're able to adapt to these things rather than just take what they're given. The next one is that rules are meant to be broken. And I kind of talked about this a little bit before, but think about in general, in, in, in like language arts, there are tons of rules. I before E except after C, except for these 50 million ex exceptions. Or, you know, when we're looking at, you know, the idea of, you know, you, you capitalize proper names, except, and there's always exceptions to the rule, even in science. There are certain scientific rules for that that really have, but there are exceptions to some things in science. There are exceptions to some things in math. So all of these things have rules, and yet they may there may be exceptions. And so we want students to learn that there they may be exceptions that the rules don't always apply. And so that's something. And so that's something you can use in your content to help students to understand this type of flexible thinking, like. Look, this is a rule, but it may come up that this or whatever. This is not an ironclad rule that has to happen. This is usually this is what usually happens, but there could be this as well. Uh, student inquiry. So student inquiry is allowing students to brainstorm. And the reason why I love brainstorming about something is because then you're that's when you're doing that divergent thinking. You're thinking about tons of possibilities, not just one, but tons of possibilities. And so, and of course. The, the key is then funneling all these possibilities into one possible problem, a solved solution to the problem. It's not necessarily the solution, but it is a solution. And so I like to use graphic organizers with students to kind of funnel their thinking, but I want to give them the opportunity to brainstorm. So how often do you ask kids questions and give them what's called wait time to think about it? Or do you ask a question and then call on the first kid that raises their hand? So instead of, of, of maybe calling on kids right away, say, I, we're going to take two, two or three minutes to think about this. I want you to think about all these possibilities, and then we're going to talk about this. And then what you're going to, what you're going to find in most cases, because it's not, there's no, you know, there are exceptions to the rules, but in most cases, you're going to have a much richer discussion because kids have really put some thought into it. They've thought of all these possibilities. But of course, if you're going to have that, you have to ask questions that have divergent answers. So if you ask con convergent questions, you're going to get a single answer because that's all there is. So you as the teacher also have to ask those types of questions when you're asking kids to brainstorm. Uh, so I like giving kids problems that can't be solved. I don't mean like a math problem, but I mean like, hey, let's solve world hunger. What would that look like? Okay, well, we've been trying to solve world hunger for a long, long, long time, and we've not been successful, and we're probably never going to be successful. But we can still think about possibilities and ways to help with that. The next strategy is that um, it's the idea of learning compromise. And I kind of talked about this a little bit before as well. But... Compromise is a really tough thing to do. We have a certain thing in mind. We want things a certain way. And when things don't happen, we get disappointed. When we get disappointed, we may, you know, uh, become stubborn and we may shut down. And so we need to teach, we need to teach kids to learn how to compromise that, look, just because a group or someone did not do what you asked them to do doesn't mean they didn't listen to you. It just means they didn't agree with you. And so as long as a person's voice is heard, as long as they're willing to, as long as they're the uh, whoever they're working with is willing to listen to them, then that's all you can ask. And then a compromise has to be made. And so that may mean both 
parties compromising on what, what the answer is. Or if one has a, a, a solution that seems better than the other, maybe you go with that. But we need to put students in situations where they have to learn to compromise. And that's why group work is such a great place for this to happen because there's a lot of compromising when you're working in a group. The next one is perspective taking. So what is it like to be that person? So we know what it's like to be us, but what is it like from the other perspective? So when something doesn't, you know, when you get mad at your parents, what is their perspective? Okay, when you're looking at history and you're looking at this point of view, what about the other point of view? So looking at this other perspective helps with flexibility because it's, it's not like my answer is the right answer. My answer is my answer and their answer is their answer. And they may be very different depending upon our perspective or how we see things. And so it's important for kids in general to learn how to look at other perspectives. When you're looking at a book, you know, and you're looking at the, you're looking at the perspective, uh, reading a novel and you're reading the perspective of the, the narrator, you know, how do they feel about that perspective? What do they learn from that perspective about, you know, that's different from themselves. And so we want to put students where they're able to do that. Replacement behaviors. So when things don't go the way that you want, how can you replace this behavior with something else? So, for example, let's say they're in a group. They, they get to an argument about something. They're not willing to compromise or shutting down. What is something else that they could do? Well, maybe they could go outside in the hallway and calm down for a minute. Or maybe they could say, can I just make one last point? And if we don't agree with me, that's fine. But what are behaviors we can do other than the negative behaviors? So rather than the shutting down, rather than the inflexibility, rather than the stubbornness, how do we replace those? And, and so that's what we need to make sure we do when we talk with students. It's like, well, have you tried this? This is those coping mechanisms I talked about. Have you tried this or have you thought about this? Have you thought about their perspective? So you see how there's a lot of overlap with these different strategies. The last one I want to talk about is introducing change in your classroom. So again, we create routines in our classroom, but we should be creating a culture. But every once in a while, we should be we should change the, the way things that go so that students are ready when change happens. And I'm not talking about like, you know, lighting a fire and asking them to adapt, <laughs> to adapt to this. Nothing like that. But maybe instead of doing math class first, you do language arts first. Or maybe you have a day where everyone gets together and does inter interdisciplinary work. Uh, so being able to, so, and again, schools are rife with change. Uh, there's lots of interruptions. There's lots of things we have to adapt to. And kids seem to do it without with ease. Um, and sometimes it's the adults that have the issues with it, this change. But these are part of those things that allow kids to, so you should be purposeful about introducing change into your classroom. So I'll give you an example. So sometimes I'll set a deadline. I'll say, I want a project done by this time. And we get to a certain point and it's very clear that a lot of students are not going to be able to finish on time, even though they're working very hard. So I show flexibility by saying, we're going to move the deadline a couple of days. Would that be helpful? And you ask the class and, you know, or obviously they're going to say that. But there have been times where I've actually moved the deadline, you know, sooner where I would say, you know, it looks like everyone is moving right along to where they need to be. Do you mind if we close the project here? And I make that compromise with students. But I make those changes because again, I want to demonstrate, I want to model for students that change happens and we need to be flexible with that. And again, we have a plan. Plans don't always go how we think they're going to go. Uh, I know I, I learned that really quickly as a teacher. I, one of my first lesson plans I ever created, I thought it was for a 45 minute class, took me 10 minutes to do. 
And then I ended up having to kind of make it up the next, you know, you know, 30 minutes or so, 35 minutes or so on what we were going to do. And so, again, that's something as teachers that we learn all the time is to be flexible. But how can we carry this over and teach this to our students? So those are some strategies that you can use when you're trying to, to teach this flexible thinking or flexibility with students. But here are some actual specific ideas or strategies that you might want to try or activities. So take a familiar story. Like let's take the big bad wolf and let's change the story. So let's say at the in, in, instead of coming to a house of bricks, he comes to a house of styrofoam. Or instead of like the, uh, the, the pigs, you know, getting away necessarily, maybe they, they strike up a friendship with the wolf. So you change the ending of a familiar story or change some situation and then ask them to create the ending themselves. So if you're looking at a, like a, a Goldilocks and the Three Bears, so Goldilocks goes to the bear's house, what would happen if the door were locked? How would that change the story? How would she have to be flexible in her thinking? So taking it from so you can do that with, with, you know, I just gave some examples, but you can do that with a lot of things where you change something that's familiar to them in a different way. So if they're in the middle of a math problem and you say, what would happen if I, I took this, this addition sign and change it to sub subtraction? How would that change the way that you do the problem? And so they would have to adjust to that. And again, you're not, you don't want to do it to the point where you're messing with kids, but you just want to get them familiar with the idea that change is going to happen. Second thing, and I talked about these before, STEM challenges. STEM challenges are, and I have a list of STEM challenges on my website under uh, resources, but STEM challenges are a great way because kids have, because the way the STEM challenges are is that they'll say, this is how you get points, or this is how you, you know, you succeed. And so sometimes you just have to make changes. So you have this, I, I have this happen all the time with my students in Destination Imagination when they're doing what's called instant challenges, which are STEM-like challenges. They get something in their head and then they don't adapt. And so sometimes you have to adapt. And so what you see here is these kids had this idea, they'd get this ball across the, and they had all these wonderful plans. And then what they said is, we're just gonna stick the ball in the thing and throw it. And it's a real, it's a real uncreative solution, but it solves the problem. And we're adapting to that because we were running out of time. And so that's why I like competitions like Destination Imagination, because kids, even though they have this plan, they have to end up changing and adapting as they go along. You want to take everyday objects and repurpose them. So for example, if I were to take this right here, which is something that was just near me, so I'm being flexible. I'm going to make this up as I go along. This, when you ask kids what this is, this isn't, you know, a small American flag. But what if I said, what else could it be used for? What else could you repurpose this for? So kids, some kids may say we could be back scratchers. Some kids may say, well, it would be a way if you have something that's kind of stuck, you can use, the, you can use it to, in order to get it. You'd say if you're hot, you can wave it so that you can cool yourself off. But getting kids to think about, again, this flexible thinking, this divergent thinking, that there's more than one way for, for something to happen. Because what, schools do a really good job of teaching kids how to find the answer. And as a result, kids are constantly searching for the answer rather than the, the possibility of, of answers and the creative thinking that we want students to do. A fourth activity that you might do with them is interpreting art or clouds. So let's say I put these clouds up here and I ask kids, okay, what do you see? Well, one kid may see a duck. One kid may see a train. Another kid may see a snowman. That convergent thinker is like, I see clouds. <laughs> so that's what, that's why this is a good, a good thing. Even with 
with older kids. And then it seems like a young kid, but you could take art. Like you see here, how would you interpret this Salvador Dali piece of art with these melting clocks? There's lots of different ways. And you look at the title of it. There's lots of different ways using poetry. Is it poetry? It's not necessarily, there's not one correct answer. There's interpretation of that. So you can do that with older students using art and poetry, but just finding ways to interpret different things and to, to train that divergent thinking. Lastly is I, I do this all the time with my students is I'll introduce like what I call life cards or wrinkles. So when we were doing a project where students were researching a career and they're having to budget their, what they were going to do, uh, you know, how they were going to spend on their apartment, how much they were going to spend on this, whatever did it. Well, again, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. So what might happen is your car breaks down. How do you adjust to your budget on that? Or it may be that you have to pay for an exterminator because all of a sudden you have ants in your house. And this is what happens in real life. We have to be flexible with this. We have to, if we don't, if we don't have flexible, if we don't have a kind of a cushion for this flexibility, then we're going to end up in a lot of trouble when something goes wrong. And so we want to teach that skill. And so in class, I do that all the time where I'll say, what if we tried this instead? What if this, what if we did this differently? Um, and so I want students to be thinking about how things might change if, if something changed and what it is that, that we were doing um, and how would they adapt to that? How would they be flexible uh, with that particular thing? So I'm going to end with uh, five tips that you as a teacher might want to consider when making a flexible classroom or a classroom where flexible thinking is encouraged and you're, you're purposefully teaching flexibility. So number one, you need to balance. Like I, I going back to the Goldilocks theme, I'm a big believer in the Goldilocks principle, which is that there is no extreme on this side or on this side, there's just right. And this balancing act can be really tricky and very difficult in life. And so having that balance in your own classroom, allowing for flexible thinking, but having a structure, you can't just have chaos. So project-based learning is a perfect example of what I do in my classroom. There is a structure that kids are to follow, but at the same time, there is room for them to make choices. There is room for them to do things differently. There's room for them to be, to adapt and be flexible. So when kids are writing an essay, they have the, the basic structure of a five paragraph essay with a thesis, but they can take it anywhere they want to, just making sure that they attach their ideas to the structure. So structure is important, but uh, rigidity is not. So we don't want to have routines where like kid, there's so much routines that if a kid messes up the routine, they're going to be disciplined. So I'm always amazed at some of our elementary and middle schools where kids are taught to line up in lines, be quiet in the hallways, stand against the wall, be single file, go wherever they're going. And then they get into junior high and the bell rings and it's like cattle and they're out in this chaos. Surely there is a way to have structure and have some flexibility as well. Surely there's a, there's a middle ground there. There's that, that Goldilocks, that Goldilocks spot. And so we as schools, I don't think do a very good job of doing that sometimes. Second thing, we need to model flexibility as a teacher. So if things don't go according to plan, own up to it. Say, I had this plan. I thought it was going to go this way. It didn't quite go this way. So we're making changes. But model the fact that you're willing to be flexible. Again, as a teacher, you have to be flexible. But how often do students know that you're being flexible, that you're compromising, that you're, uh, you're, you're adapting to what is going on? So you have a plan. And all of a sudden, it turns out that they're, uh, you know, the uh, the photographers coming in to take pictures 
and all of a sudden you have 20 minutes instead of 45 minutes. How are you adjusting to that? How are you changing that? Rather than, you're not going to sit there and complain about it to students. You're going to say, okay, this is how we're adjusting to this. And so you're modeling this flexibility. The third thing is the classroom should be, be flexible. And what I mean, I know I've talked about, but I'm talking about physically, it needs to be flexible. If you have all your, your kids at desk all lined up in rows, facing towards the front, that is a very structured but inflexible class. And so do you have flexible seating where kids can choose where they're going to sit? Or do you have different types of seating where you have, do you have, you know, like a library where kids can go choose different things or kids, kids can do activities, um, you know, when they finish their work? So how much flexibility do you set up in your classroom? to kind of create this culture, not just in what you do, but what it looks like. When a kid, when I can walk into a classroom and tell right away whether someone is flexible or not. I'll give you an example. The very first year I taught, uh, there was a teacher um, who I shared a classroom with. And I was the kind of guy, I like to put kids in groups. I like them to move their desk in circles and work together. And then when we only, it was in his class for one period because I was sharing, I had to move around to different classrooms. And he started to get angry and irked with me because the, the chairs weren't exactly where they were supposed to be. So he actually put tape on the floor in an L shape to show where the chair, he goes, he, I, he, I walked in one day and he goes, see this, see this tape on the floor? This is where the chairs need to go. And I was thinking, how did this guy last 35 years in education with this type of thinking? Uh, and so I, I learned, and I learned a really, a lot of really valuable lessons as a first year teacher. That was one I learned is that you have to be flexible. And you have to be able to be flexible with other people as well. And that this is why, you know, this is how you have successful teaming. The fourth thing, you need to give kids choice. Choice, choice, and more choice. So choice on products, choice on partners, choice on even sometimes the content that they're going to be learning. So student choice is so important. And this is what teaches them flexibilities because they make a choice. And then they have to adapt to that choice they made. Sometimes they may bite off more than they can chew and they have to adapt to that. Sometimes they, they figure out something and they're able to adapt to that. And so we want, but if we don't give kids choice, then there's nothing to adapt to. They're just following the steps. So we need to give them choice and let them do things their way sometimes, even though we might know it's not the correct way to do it or the right way to do it, because there may not be a correct way to do it, maybe the most efficient way to do it but we want to give them the chance to have a choice. The last one is reflection. And I have several examples of this also on my website under resources, but reflection, when kids have done something, do, you, do they reflect? So when I, when kids are working groups, I often will meet with them once a week and I'll sit down and say, what's working? What's not? How can we make changes? How can we make this better? When students finish an activity or a lesson or a project, we always reflect. And I use the protocols that you see here listed here on the website. And so I'll use these reflections to try to get kids thinking about their th their flexible thinking, thinking about okay, what might I have done different? How could things have been different? Had If I had done this, made this choice instead of this choice, how would things have been different? If in the group I had done this instead of this, would we have created a better product? But you have to be purposeful about reflection. You can't just expect kids. We're very reflective as teachers by nature. But, you know, having a, a, a prescribed 
a protocol that kids can use in order to reflect is going to be very helpful to help them with that reflection because sometimes kids finish what they're doing and then they they're, they're done and they it just goes off that they don't even think about it but we want kids to think about how things went we want kids to think about how they were being adaptable so i hope you enjoyed my ugly take of this particular talk talk but i wanted to again show you the how i could be flexible myself and adaptable and i know this one's not perfect and i have to be just okay with that